0: Welcome to the Florida Law Podcast, episode 18. I'm Rebecca valentina Oroca, and I'm a lawyer practicing civil law in Florida. In this podcast, we'll seek to comment and explain newsworthy opinions issued by the Florida Supreme Court and its five district courts of appeal, as well as some federal cases. While these courts are in session and issuing opinions, we'll be releasing a few episodes a month. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at floridalawpodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in co-hosting an episode or have any other ideas, please drop us a line. Today, my guest is Santiago Oroca, a lawyer who practices criminal law in Florida.
1: Hi, hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. So, by the way, at the end of the podcast, we're going to have a full disclaimer, so please listen to it. So, Santiago, tell me a little bit about, quick second about what your first case is that you have today.
1: Well, the the issue is simple but is very complex because it's a death penalty case. It's essentially whether the government, in this case the government of Alabama, can execute an inmate who does not remember the crime he committed.
0: And the next case I'll be talking about Mm -hmm. is where two Miami Dade College professors are tangling in an employment law dispute.
1: Oh, interesting. So the next one, I believe uh, we are talking uh, today, has to do with probation. Uh, Something, a question that uh, constantly we see in criminal court. Uh, To what extent a defendant who is found in violation of his or her probation can be sentenced? Can be sentenced to what? Following a probation hearing, which uh, he or she is found uh, guilty.
0: And the next case I have is also an employment law case where a medical director and a diversity director tangle over the suitability of an applicant in a firefighting program.
1: Mm, My last case we reached there today is a DUI trial. The issue in this appeal is uh, whether the mentions to President Trump were, were too prejudicial for the defendant who was found guilty of DUI.
0: Fascinating Santiago we're gonna start with you. you have something up first tell us Thank where you very much. Is this case from
1: Well this case is the, an opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States is not a final opinion It's just an state. It's an order stay in the execution of mr. Madison in the state of Alabama. This is the second time this case in few months reached the Supreme Court without getting into the merits of the case, just for estates. What happens in this case is that Mr. Madison committed a horrendous crime. Nobody is going to dispute that. In 1985, he murdered a police officer during a domestic violence incident. Uh, he was told in a domestic violence case uh, to go accompanied by the police to his residence to pick up his belongings. He did so, and when he arrived, he decided to kill the police officer who was accompanying him. Since then, um, he has uh, been under a death, uh, first uh, petition of death, and then sentenced to death. Uh, He has been in death row since uh, 1990. The problem here is a line of cases that prohibits um, the execution of people who is incompetent. For people who are insane, as it was said in a 1986 opinion of the Supreme Court for the run rate, in that opinion the Supreme Court ruled that people who are mentally insane, meaning they do not understand why they are being punished, uh, that was the definition that was given, therefore cannot be punished, cannot be executed. We have to restore uh, their sanity, if possible, or we cannot execute them. Well, this particular case is the second time that arrives to the Supreme Court of the United States based on the same issue. There is no dispute. um, There is an agreement among the experts uh, in this opinion that um, the defendant, Mr. Madison, is a person who, in 2016, suffered a series of strokes and other very serious uh, health problems, lost memory, lost memory. Therefore uh, today, and again there is no dispute on that, he does not remember the crime he committed. So is a person who does not remember the crime he committed incompetent for purposes of execution? Well the Supreme Court says not necessarily. The Supreme Court says that Remember, the crime is a factor, but it's not the only factor. That many people do not remember what school they attended, but they know that they attended the school. Or they remember what they learned in the school. Or something of they learned in the school. Or they don't remember when they learned to drive. But they are able to drive, and they drive well. There are several examples that the Supreme Court lists in this case of activities that human beings can and frequently even uh, forget with the years when these activities happen. But it doesn't uh, mean that they are incompetent because they they forgot when this event happened. What they say, the question to them is, is whether the defendant understands why the state wants to execute him. Because if the defendant understands why the state was to, wants to execute him, then he would be competent for purposes of um, <coughs> death penalty, the, the execution. It's, it's quite a horrendous uh, thing, of course, but it has to do with the working of the Supreme Court. What happened in the, and the law, in the death penalty in the United States, what happened in this particular case is that the first time the Supreme Court Uh, sent the case back to Alabama, ordering the courts in Alabama to answer that question. Well, the courts in Alabama did not answer that question. What the courts in Alabama uh, determined is that the defendant was competent to be executed. But we don't know, that's what the Supreme Court says, whether he's competent based on his understanding of why the state wants to execute him. That's what we don't know, because there was not evidence evidentiary hearing after the case was remanded from the Supreme Court. So this is the second time, and um, it's very interesting that in this time uh, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, joins the Majority Opinion, um, the court is split, okay, but in this particular case Justice Roberts gives the fifth vote, uh, vote to the Majority saying we cannot execute this man unless we are sure that he understands why the state wants to execute him. So they are ordering, in quite rough language uh, for the state of Alabama. They are ordering the state of Alabama to provide uh, this defendant with evidence of hearing and show whether he understands why the state wants to punish him or not. Because that would, according to the Supreme Court, is the standard. Regardless of whether he remembers or doesn't remember the crime uh, he committed.
0: Okay, wow. Thank you, Santiago.
1: My pleasure. I mean, it's horrible, like everything dealing with death penalty, but we have to make comments on that because it happens. It is what it is.
0: Well, we're going to turn now to a completely different area of law. We're going to turn into a case uh, out of the third DCA here in um, South Florida. Isabel Delpino Allen versus Juan Santilliez, a case from Miami Dade County. And in this case, Ms. Delpino Allen had filed um, an action. She was a member of the faculty at Miami-Dade College, along with several other professors, including the defendant, Mr. Santelises, and they were writing a book together called Freedom to Communicate. Ms. Allen alleged that she discovered plagiarism within the book and reported that information to the Office of Academic Affairs. They then placed um, Ms. Allen and her co-authors on notice that they intended to investigate those plagiarism accusations. And in that year, they concluded the investigation and determined that Miss Allen's allegations were unsubstantiated. Shortly thereafter, um, two of the co-authors um, of Miss Allen's filed charges of discrimination and harassment against Ms. Allen um, using the grievance process at Miami-Dade College. Alleging that she directed hostile discriminatory and retaliatory acts at several professors, including themselves and the other co-authors of this book. At that point, there was an administrative investigation that uh, that began. And during the investigation, the defendant, Mr. Santalises, was identified as a material witness. He was interviewed um, by the college. And at the conclusion of the investigation, the college determined that the charges of discrimination and retaliation were substantiated and Ms. Allen was eventually terminated from her employment. Following the termination, Ms. Allen filed the instant suit, alleging that the interview responses provided by Mr. Santelises were slanderous. So she filed a slander accusation against him. So in the case below, this Mr. Santelises filed a motion for summary judgment saying that he had absolute immunity, and the court granted that that motion for summary judgment. And these, the allegations that he defended himself, were that the statements were made during an administrative investigation, he was required to participate in, in this investigation, and they were made in the course and scope of his duties as a professor.
1: So, um, I guess, they there is an immunity, then, no?
0: Ultimately that's what the 3rd District Court of Appeals found here. Um, The big question here is whether allegedly defamatory statements are covered under absolute privilege is generally a question of law for the court and public officials who make statements within the scope and course of their duties are absolutely immune from suit for defamation and They went through a little bit about the legislative history of the the case You
1: say public uh, public officers a professor of uh, college is a public officer.
0: Well, Miami Dade College is a public college, uh-huh. so they found that he qualified. Um, they went through a lot number of other public employees, and he's considered. They're considered a public institution organized under Florida statute one zero zero four. Oh, okay. So therefore, as a member of the faculty, he qualifies.
1: Okay, okay,
0: so then their next part of the analysis was to take a look at whether the statements were made within the orbit of his responsibilities as a public instructor So they took a look at the, the uh, college manual of procedures and found that all college employees Were expected to report any harassment or discrimination They've heard about and that it was mandatory for him to cooperate as part of the condition of his employment anyone who refuses to answer questions are subject to discipline including termination so here, the court found that the unambiguous terms of the manual demanded that he cooperate. He was a material witness. It was a condition of his employment, and it was not voluntary. Therefore, he was within the course and scope of his employment duties.
1: Okay, so those are the standard. That's the standard. Yes. Okay. Interesting. So
0: therefore, they affirmed the trial court's granting of the motion for summary judgment, and Mr. Centelius is will go henceforth.
1: Oh, no? interesting, interesting. Should we stop here for a moment and sure. then uh, we continue? Sure. Okay, thank you. Let's stop there for a moment.
0: Welcome back. We just took a short break. And Mr. Arroca, we will have another case from you. What
1: do you have next? Well, something that happens constantly in criminal law in the courts of the state of Florida, I guess in every criminal law court in the United States, the question is, what the defendant faces if the court finds that the defendant violated his or her probation um it has an easy answer but i don't know why defendants have difficulties and sometimes lawyers too understanding this answer because the answer is is very very simple anything any sentence which it might be originally be imposed any okay? So the first district court or the first uh, district court of appeals in Florida, uh, March seventh, uh, published an interesting opinion on this matter. Is uh, the case? The case is styled Juan uh, Jenkins versus State of Florida, and in this particular case, look to these facts. Mr. Jenkins in 2007 pleaded no contest to aggravated battery, second degree felony punishable with up to 15 years imprisonment are possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, another second degree felony punishable with up to 15 years Uh, there was a plea agreement and pursuant to the plea agreement the court sentenced mr jenkins to two concurrent probation terms he didn't go to prison so now we go to uh, 2016 when Mr. Jenkins violated his probation, was found in violation of his probation. And the court sentenced him to 30 years imprisonment. 30 years. So he
0: stacked the two sentences. Yes,
1: stacked the two sentences. The two sentences were run consecutively, meaning imposed 15 years for the uh, felony possession of the firearm, and another 15 years for uh, the aggravated battery.
0: I'm assuming same transaction, same date of incident. Same
1: transaction, same date of incident, everything the same. Now Mr. Jenkins files a uh, rule 3800, challenging his, what he considers to be an illegal sentence. And the court of appeal says there is nothing illegal as to that sentence. There is nothing illegal because you can be sentenced to a lot more and what you would sentence under a plea agreement the first time and even if the first time you were sentenced to a concurrent term of probation now the court has the jurisdiction to sentence you to two consecutive terms of imprisonment with no probation at all okay it happens frequently there is a supreme recent last year supreme court case uh, 2018 Eustachy is uh, the style of the case uh, Stacky versus the State of Florida, in which a juvenile offender, you know that its sentences for juvenile offenders can be a maximum of six years of which only four can be in uh, incarceration, a maximum of four. So uh, his probation was violated at the end uh, of the uh, prison term and uh, suddenly now he was sentenced to 30 years with a uh, 10-year minimum mandatory for the possession of a farm during an unrovering. Um, uh, his uh, case reached the Florida Supreme Court saying, can the court even recapture the minimum mandatories that were not imposed when he was sentenced as a youthful offender? And the answer is yes, because he, defendant, found uh, guilty of valedian approbation, can be sentenced to any sentence, any legal sentence, which it might be originally be imposed. So if, because he was on probation for an robbery, he could have been sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum mandatory of 10 years for the possession of the firearm during the commission of the crime originally, now he can be sentenced to 30 years with 10 years minimum mandatory. He can even be sentenced to 30 years followed by the 10 years in momentatory, okay? So this is something that people who are in probation don't fully understand. Um, sometimes attorneys uh, don't fully understand and explain all the consequences of violating the, the probation.
0: Okay, thank you very much.
1: It was my pleasure.
0: All right, moving on, and we're going again to the employment law arena. We're going to um, a case out of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit that was issued on March 1st. Nancy King versus the Board of County Commissioners for Polk County, Florida. And this is a little bit of a twist on the theme that we were working with earlier. Dr. King was working as a contractor for Polk County. She was working um, primarily responsible for determining whether firefighter, firefighter applicants were medically qualified to initiate the employment process. Um, there was an issue because she originally uh, was supposed to clear applicants. There, this case involved around one applicant who they called Jay, who was African-American and who applied for a position with the Polk County Fire Department under a diversity initiative. Under this initiative, candidates from socially disadvantaged backgrounds were provided financial assistance and training to help them apply to become Polk County firefighters. Unlike other firefighter applicants who go through fire school and then apply for a position, those hired through the diversity initiative get on the county payroll prior to completing their training, so Mm -hmm. payment and other employment benefits. Now, Dr. King did not perform um, this employee's initial pre-employment screening, rather a physician's assistant did it and found some medical problems related to Jay's lungs, even though Jay had earlier stated he did not have any lung problems. Um, There was some confusion about what happened next, but there apparently was a recommendation that this candidate see a uh, physician to get these issues looked at. There was a misunderstanding uh, about the paperwork and the clearance, and the bottom line is that Jay began to do the classroom instruction and be placed on the county payroll with his issue not really being cleared up. So at some point, Dr. King reviewed Jay's file and there appears to be a lot of drama back and forth between Dr. King and the Equal Opportunity Diversity Administrator named Ms. Baker Buford, who found it inappropriate that Dr. King was looking to re-examine Jay again because he'd already received his medical clearance and she had never seen, and Dr. King was shocked as well because she'd never seen an administrator interfere with her ability to examine a candidate. Mm. So there's a lot of back and forth between these two two people, um, and it, they they chronically were pointing the finger at. They were interfering with each other and their jobs. And Dr. King's um, contract came up for review, but she claimed in this case that the it was not normally a an issue that would come up for review. So she received the highest rating as to whether her contract was going to be the one that be bid on and they felt like it, there was a pretext for her decision regarding Jay on his clearance. And the bottom line is even though she received the highest score out of the bids, the committee did not recommend her to renew her contract.
1: No way. What is that? Cause I guess that's the issue.
0: Well, the issue here is that she filed suit. Okay. Which is this case. Um, variant, and one of the other claims is retaliation in violation of her First Amendment rights in violation of Florida state law. The district granted summary judgment in, their, in the defendant's favor, and the 11th circuit affirmed that decision here, determining that King, in her speech about this candidate, uh, spoke as an employee rather than a private citizen, and therefore, since she did not speak publicly, and that her ordinary job duties were the motivation for her speech that um she was not eligible for this kind of protection. Um, there was no first amendment claim because she was speaking in the capacity of an employee okay. and not as a private citizen. Okay. So okay. Miss King um, loses at this stage here and the motion for reconsideration was denied.
1: No, interesting. And though it's uh, different result exactly the opposite result on the previous cases that you were right.
0: Well this is an inc- this one was in context of a First Amendment assertion. The other case was in context of a slander claim.
1: Immunity. Yes. Okay, okay. So okay. No, we're, no, in, no. we're
0: in the same realm, but not really.
1: But not really. Okay. Now, my last case is about DUI and President Trump. Nothing to say that President Trump did anything wrong. No, this we're is. we're
0: not political on this podcast, oh, okay. 100%. No, no, okay, but what happened
1: here is something interesting. Is um, an opinion of the 4th District Uh, Court of Appeals of the State of Florida. Uh, The style is Mr. Frank Albert Martínez versus the State of Florida. It was published on February 27, 2019. And essentially what happened, the facts are that Mr. Martínez was found, passed out in a a disabled car on Interstate 95 although he had the key in the ignition, the engine was uh, um, Um, He was yelling inside the car. A trooper showed his car, he stopped, It was a female, approached uh, Mr. Martinez, asked him to uh, switch off the car, get out of the car, and Mr. Martinez uh, responded by uh, making some remarks, including, come on baby, let's go Mexico, let's go Mexico, yeah, Mexico baby, Mexico baby, I'm taking you down baby, thank you Trump, thank you Trump, hey, I love you Trump, I'm not resisting, thank you you, Trump, thank you Trump, I love you Trump, and F you man, and you are, P I cannot say these words, uh, directed to the trooper, the trooper called for reinforcement, Reinforcements arrived, at the time of 12, Mr. Martinez was charged with uh, DUI, it seems that he was Uh, uh, his uh, third DUI, uh, DUI, that's why this is a felony case, Uh, Mr. Martinez moved to exclude his statements or at least to have his statements redacted as to Mr. Donald Trump, arguing that it was unfairly prejudicial because Mr. Trump is the subject of many many lawsuits and is seen in negative life by many people. The trial court said no way, this is what you said at the time of the incident, you are stuck with it and this information will be elicited and according to the court, this information is relevant to prove your state of mind, meaning that you were wasted, wasted uh, your car, okay, that you were killing these things. The court of appeals um, faces, uh, makes an analysis, um, a balancing whether this uh, is unduly prejudicial, whether it has any probative value, this mentions to President Trump. Um, the Court of appeal says, yes, it did improve the state of mind. We, furthermore, we don't understand why the mention to the highest, the person to have, the, the person who has the highest office in the land, just to mention him is prejudicial per se, uh, we haven't uh, understood, uh, we didn't understand that. And we, have, we believe that the decision of the trial court was the proper decision to leave these statements about Mr. Trump uh, go to the jury, uh, in this case in which Mr. Martinez was found guilty.
0: Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. All right. So... That concludes the 18th episode of the Florida Law Podcast. Uh, Let us know what you think. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. And now for our disclaimer. So our listeners know this podcast cannot and should not be considered as legal advice. This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. If you have any questions about a case you may have, we advise you to contact an attorney. This podcast cannot and should not be construed as creating any legal relationship with any subscriber or listener and has not been approved for any credit for legal education in any state. This episode was produced, directed, scripted, and edited by Rebecca Valentina Aroca. Thank you, Santiago.
1: Thank you to you. I see you again soon. Thank you.